A wee weekly revision. You may be a stranger, you may not have been around for the last number of weeks or last week, and just to put us in the context of what we've been doing, we're looking at 1010. Um, it's all over Fitzroy. Um, it's life in all its fullness. It's what we're attempting to bring in individual lives and community and in the world. And in recent weeks, we've been looking at how we're not conformed to empire, but we're subversively living within empire. If we were listening carefully to what Natalie was reading, um, there in the Babylonian empire, um, the people of God, we'll come to it in a moment, are told to not conform, but to live in the midst, the word of God, flesh in some ways, before that verse or before the advent, um, hundreds of years beforehand. We're not conforming. We were looking last week at being sent. We've looked in the past at um, the task. Well, we looked last week at the task of a sender, but we were looking at how sin pushes away and breaks down relationships, whereas we as the people of God are gap closers in the fruit of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. And so today we're looking at um, peacemaking and reconciliation. And we're looking at it in the heart of this passage that um, uh, Natalie read to us. Uh, the Jews are in exile. They're, they've been sent into exile. They're in Babylon. I want to read to you um, a monologue, maybe a homily. This was maybe his entire sermon. There might be lessons for Stockman in this. Um, Doug Gay, who spoke at our church weekend and has preached here in Fitzroy, a uh, theologian uh, in Scotland, um, he wrote this about the passage that Natalie read, and it, just to bring it back home to us and maybe to um, hear it in different ways. So this is what he preached one evening. To all the exiles, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have sent you into exile in Babylon. You're going nowhere quickly. Don't let the Babylonians grind you down. Build, live, plant, love, marry, breed, grow, pray. Build houses. Build them strong. Take your time. Dig foundations. Build them to last. Build extra bedrooms for the kids and for their kids. Build houses to last you 70 years and live in them. Unpack the cases, then throw them away. Put your pictures up. Make the place homely. And outside, mark the plots where you will bury both the elders and yourselves. You're going nowhere quickly. You must live here. I mean you to live Within these walls, in the secret spaces, behind closed doors, prayers can be said and secrets whispered. The songs of Zion can be sung. The language kept alive. The stories told, your children taught. Within these walls, dreams can be kept alive. The dreams that Babylon cannot control. To all the exiles, plant gardens. Take your time and build raised beds. Dig ditches to water them. Plant your crop rotations. Plant trees which will take decades to give you fruit. The earth will keep on giving to you. Dig the soil. Push the seeds in the ground. Cover and water them. Fertilize the crops. Wait for the sun and the rain. Plant olives and vines. Plant figs and pomegranates. Plant lemons and oranges. Almonds and apples. Bend your tastes to foreign food. Plant wheat for bread and vines for wine. This is your Eden. This is your Canaan. This is your shift. This is your time. This is your place. Here you must plant and harvest and eat and share. You're going nowhere quickly. 
Within these gardens, seeds can grow, seeds of resistance and renewal, seeds of change, seeds of the future, seeds of hope. Under these trees, when they are grown, your children will sit in circles and will plan the journey home. To all the exiles, don't let the empire make you hate yourselves. Fall in love with one another. Take wives and husbands. Give yourselves to one another. Dance at each other's weddings. Make new families. You're going nowhere quickly. Make love. Make babies. Be proud when your bellies stretch and swell. They are full of the promise of the future. Welcome and bless your sons and daughters. Teach them the old stories and new ways. Multiply, multiply, multiply. Become more. Don't let Babylon reduce you or make you less. Grow up and on into the people you were made and meant to be. To all the exiles, take this place of cursing, cruelty, enslavement. Take this place of exile, this known home, these enemies and masters, bullies, racists, bosses. Take them and seek their welfare. You're going nowhere quickly. Bring your best to their worst. Dig tunnels of love under the foundations of empire. Pray hard for Babylon. Pray daily for its good. Seek its shalom. Its shalom your own is lodged for now. Do good. Show love. Do justice. Live in peace. Create a colony of heaven which the power of empire cannot overcome. To all the exiles, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your good, not for your harm. To give you all the future and a hope. I will restore you. I will gather you and bring you back. I will be found by you and hear you. But you're going nowhere quickly. So build, plant, harvest, live, love, marry, breed, grow, pray, love, hope. Seek the welfare of the city. For in it you will find your own. Amen. Thank you, Doug. A couple of years ago, I had a eureka moment. As I was sharing on the radio this morning, one of the ways that I do Advent is to listen to and then probably blog a song. Just a song. song that I would call reality carols. In the midst of all the stuff that's going on where the baby Jesus is making mild and everything's really comfortable and... Um, Uh, I like a bit of reality. And so I look for those songs with a a more depth and more authenticity. And Over the Rhine, uh, my favorite band who played here, and for those who love them, good news is that looks like we might have them again before the end of next year. They have done a few Christmas albums. And the most recent one is is called um, Blood Oranges in the Snow. Uh, You can get it in orange vinyl if you so wish. I have it in orange vinyl. Of course I do. Um, But in that, they have a song about Bethlehem. And they're looking at Bethlehem as the Bethlehem of today that's uh, in the midst of war and strife and trouble and division. And in the middle of it, they sing, I hope that we can still believe the Christ child holds a gift for us. Are we able to receive peace on earth this Christmas? I hope that we can still believe the Christ child holds a gift for us. Are we able to receive peace on earth this Christmas? And listening to that, and listening to that album over and over, and I'm listening to it at the moment this week, I was uh, was aware of a moment that peace, now probably it's in the midst of 
what we do as Fitzroy and what I do with Father Martin and various other things. But something came through to me that went, the peacemaking is not some added extra to this. It's not something that uh, we Marty and Stevie do, Stucky do out there, and it's lovely to see them together on the radio. Or, well, you don't see them together on the radio, obviously, unless you watch my Facebook photos of us on the radio. Um, but to hear them, it's lovely. It's, it's lovely. It's, it's just, just lovely. Uh, as if it's some kind of wee extra that you allow me to do. I realized as I was listening to the Over the Rhine, and that as that took me back to glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It was like God said, peace, Steve. Peace. Peace. Actually, and I know it is, but it's not totally. It's the furtherance of this. It's not about justice or vengeance or about proving we're right or wrong. It's not about proving we're winning. It's the angel said, peace. That's what the baby came to bring. Peace. Peace. There's Undervan NIV commentary Bible that Desi had a lot to do with and that I is my go-to every week. Defines the word peace in the angel song in three ways. Personal peace. Material peace. And political peace. They're all together. Now I know, and I would exaggerate this maybe and maybe not exaggerate this, that the heresies of Northern Ireland theology over the 20th century have uh, minimized that to the one-dimensional personal peace. And we live in a Northern Ireland that's probably damaged by that theological heresy of minimizing the, the peace of God to just the personal. Um, and that's not what the NIV commentary tells us that this, these angels were bringing. They were bringing personal peace absolutely and thank God for it. But they were talking about material peace. They were talking about political peace. They were talking about the shalom that we find back in Jeremiah. I think Fields of Life have it wonderfully in their slogan. It's all about changing lives, personal peace, transforming communities, material peace, and building hope for a political peace. Whatever way we describe it, This is part of the DNA of what it is to be a Christian. 10-10, life in all its fullness, following of Jesus, will have at its core a huge emphasis on political peacemaking. It's not for Ken and Jerry. It's for everybody in this country who claims what in every way they are following Jesus. Now let, let me tell you just briefly my story. And I've been describing, I've been trying to unpack this to myself because it came out as many things do when you're speaking somewhere or you're asked a question somewhere. And I think it may have been when Martin and I were in America a couple of years ago, somebody asked a question and I came up with this idea for myself that I actually think is true. Um, I'm not sure whether I shared this with you before, but I've shared most things with you before and who would I be to think you would remember um, anyway. But um, when I was about 18, I wrote a letter to the, the Balamina papers talking about loving your enemies and um, made the one mistake of not telling my parents that had sent it until all their friends and work said, oh, I see your son has made some, uh, and I think it was a bit of a, there'd been something in the week before where basically some members of a Christian church in the town had been suggesting we shouldn't love 
uh, our, our neighbors or enemies and I was having a go that this was at the heart of what I saw Jesus' life was because I came to faith as a 17 year old. Yes, I'd been going to Sunday school all my life, uh, but we weren't church goers really. So I only went to get my pen when I won the Sunday school prize every year and, um, and that was probably geared to children. So when I was 17 and came to faith, it was, it was quite fresh to me. There was no kind of theolo- theological shaping or forming or default. And so I started reading the scriptures and it said, love your enemies. And that's what it said. So obviously that's what you do. And we live in Northern Ireland. So goodness me, that's easy to work out where that happens. In fact, we must be best at that because we live with our enemies. Goodness, we must be great at that part of it. And so I wrote this naive letter that caused a little bit of consternation over the course of the next few weeks in the paper that um, I hadn't warned my parents about. Uh, And that was me at 17 or 18. And then I got what I call this encrusting. That almost pure, innocent, naive, Jesus is about peacemaking, it's right there, there's no other way for it, it's right at the core that I discovered when I came to faith, was encrusted by, well, coming from Balamin, certain sectarian things, certain theological things, um, uh, all kinds of myths and Lies that were maybe shared about Catholicism or nationalism or Protestantism or whatever else. And so it all became encrusted. So that though deep down in my life I believed these things, I think it took God maybe 35 years before he knocked off all the encrusting that allowed me to come to Fitzroy to take that first step and speak at the cluttered novena. My word, what was that like with all the encrusting I had at the time? Or even further to go and speak at the Sinn Féin Ardèche or to become friends with a priest I mean, your encrusting wasn't allowing for that in Balamina when I was growing up. And so the purity of following Jesus and love your neighbor and love your enemy was right there from the beginning of my faith. But it was encrusted with all this stuff. And in Northern Ireland, perhaps one of the lessons is we need to get rid of all this stuff. Because what the angels were singing about, this peace on earth, was not new. This idea of shalom, God's intention for humanity, goes right back through all of the prophets. I looked up a Jewish uh, website to find out what would they say about shalom. And uh, it says the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, is derived from a root donating, donating, denoting, donating. Uh, If you want to donate, you can donate, but that's for another day. Um, A root denoting wholeness or completeness and its frame of reference throughout Jewish literature is bound up with the notion of perfection that the world the broken world that Kim was praying about earlier the world where all the gaps are happening because of sin could have the gaps closed and that we could have personal material and political peace Jeremiah there they are in Babylon the first thing God's saying to them is, you've got to live here. You've got to live in the midst of this. You're not moving from here quickly. You're going to have to live in the midst of it. And we're living in the midst of a difficult time. Whether we look at the mess of Brexit, particularly for us, and it is a mess, and I just think we've got, forgive me, maybe cut this out, but is it just idiots running the show? Or has anybody a clue what we're going to do with this border? And you listen to them and you think, really? We're in a mess. And it's a big mess. And when I talk to people and they talk about violence, they're not kidding. We are on 
the edge of something because of this Brexit that could take us right back to where we were. So let's look to America for some hope. No, let's not. Um, We're living in an incredibly difficult time. And so were the people that Jeremiah was writing to. And what did he say to them? He said, live and love. He said, build. I love the way Doug says that. Dig tunnels underneath the empire with love and dreams and hope and peace. Shalom. We're the shalom bringers. We're those who close the gap. This has been something that's been happening since the very fall that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, that God had this plan of peace, personal, material, and political that would come into a a broken world. It's right there through the whole of the Old Testament. It's not new or some sideshow. It's right at the heart of the biblical worldview. As Gary told us in the missing piece way back, was it Maytime, when he opened up Romans in that incredible way, that was an amazing night. And I, 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 I emailed him yesterday or Facebooked him and said, send me a couple of those. No, I didn't. I actually found them because he'd sent me them at the time. A couple of quotes from that night that were, was really inspirational. And he said that night, he had it up on a sheet, I think, the term peace occurs 100 times in the New Testament and every book except First John. Paul frequently employs the phrase God of peace seven times in all. So the favored status of God of peace is surely significant. Swartley, William Swartley says, by stating that the nature of both God and Christ is peace, the ethical mandate to pursue peace finds its strongest theological and incarnational anchor. There's a theological anchor and an incarnational anchor to pursue peace. It's part of our identity. It's part of the 1010 that Christians are in 2017 because it's been the identity of the people who followed God right back to Abraham. The non-violence of Jesus and subsequently, this is still uh, one of Gary's quotes, the non-violence of Jesus and subsequently his followers is one of the most enduring features of the gospel. Jesus was remembered by his followers as a person who eschewed violence and from what we read in his letters, not least Romans, Paul was strongly familiar with the tradition of non-violent Jesus. Paul turned away from the, the, the modus vivendi he once embraced, following instead Jesus, who was remembered by virtually all early Christians as one who confronted evil with a recourse to violence. Jesus was a man of peace. Jesus had a ministry of peace. Into, as Gary reminded us that night, into a world that was incredibly violent. Those Roman tw- that Roman tw- Romans 12 chapter that we've looked at over the last number of weeks talks about not retaliating, not uh, uh, fighting back evil with evil, but being those who love sincerely, authentically, and who bring peace, personal, material, and practical, or and, and political. And so, this morning, we come as a community of believers who've been involved in this peace process. From those moments that Ken first met Father Jerry, to the Clonard Fitzroy Fellowship, to the meetings that they had with uh, the Republican paramilitaries and the Loyalist paramilitaries through a peace agreement, read Ken's book, which I think is still the best book that talks about how Jesus' followers should pursue peace. It's still the best book on what peacemaking should look like for those in ministry or leadership. This is what our DNA is as Fitzroy. Four Corners Festival and what we're trying to do now in that first week of February every year. We are part of this peacemaking process 
But as we come to Christmas, we must see, because the world outside doesn't seem to see, that we're not the freaks, that we're not the ones who are overemphasizing it. We're not the ones who hang out with those and, you know, somebody said to me once, when you tell people you go to Fitzroy, they either say, oh, really? Or, oh, really? Because many don't get what Ken did. Many didn't get what Ken did. And many don't get what we still do. So let me close with that other favorite thing I have, West Wing. There's a situation in West Wing. I'm encouraged because there's some in the congregation have just got into West Wing and the manse feels that the spiritual formation of the congregation has increased greatly. And we would, uh, if you're looking for a Christmas gift this Christmas, what about buying West Wing for yourself as well as for anybody else? But anyway, there's a scene in West Wing, TV series about the West Wing of um, uh, the White House. And um, there's a president in there that's slightly different in his out. Uh, outlook than, than the one they have actually uh, at the moment. But there's a situation as there is, and a congressman, uh, an American congressman has been killed in Gaza. And the American people, over 80% in a poll, the TV show tells us it's fiction, are demanding revengeful justice. So congressman is killed in Gaza, and the country wants justice. We've got to hit back. There are echoes of 9-11 in this whole thing. And then... Jed Bartlett, the president, decides that he's not going to go for that because at the, uh, at the funeral of one of his great friends um, who was his army leader, Fitz Wallace, um, he reads the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes tell him that he's got to go in a different way than the way the world would do. It's a Romans 12. We're not going to repay violence for violence or evil for evil. We need to do something subversive and different. And so he tries to make peace in the Middle East. And he has people coming into his office saying, if you don't, do, if you don't strike Gaza, if you don't hit back, if you don't retaliate, you will be out of this office really soon. And you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to speak to the American people and you're going to have to do this, this and this. So he's in a bit of a quandary. And he sits with his wife as you always should do. He says, this is not easy. And his wife says, do you want easy? Is that what you want, easy? And so he says to those political opponents, he says, I am trying to find a way to make peace. And when I do, you can go on to television and explain why you were against it. I am going to try and make peace. And when I do, you can go onto the television and explain why you were against it. We are a church written in their DNA as peacemaking. There are other people out there, congregations, who will not understand what we're doing, who will criticize us for what we're doing. But we need to say to them, the angels sang about it, the prophets preached about it, the Bible talks about it as a central theme from beginning to end. We are people who follow the Prince of Peace. And we are going to bring that peace, personal, material, and political on the earth. And when it comes, you get into your pulpit the next Sunday. 
and explain to us why you were against it. Let's pray together. Lord, I give you thanks for the legacy of peacemaking in this community of Fitzroy. I thank you for the risks that were taken, not only by Ken and Val, and the cost it was to Jenny and Tim as they worried and feared many nights as Ken went out into very dangerous situations. Not just Ken and Val and the man's family, but others in this congregation who put themselves out there to bring peace. And who in 1994 were part of bringing about that ceasefire. We thank you for every one of them and for this community who supported it. Lord, help us not to be complacent in the political peace we have at the moment. Let us be those who would long for a societal peace and would work towards a societal peace. And help us not, Lord, to be passive peacemakers who cheered Ken and Jerry on or who cheer on Clonard Fitzroy when they meet or to go to a Four Corners event and cheer that on. Help us not to be passive peacemakers who believe in it. Help us to be active peacemakers. And this morning, help us to hear your spirit speak to us and tell us where we can immediately start to be those peacemakers. Gap closers. People around us who need personal peace. People around us who need material peace. People around us, and particularly at this moment in our history, where we're living precariously, we need a political peace. So Lord, show us, reveal to us by your Spirit, how we go about living out the mandate that is in your Scriptures from beginning to end. Help us to be those who would make the Prince of Peace that those words flesh in the community of division that we live in. Whether it's political division or whether it's religious division or whether now more often than not it's race division or whether it's class division. All the different ways in our community where there's gaps and peace needs to come, show us, Lord, how we follow the Savior into peacemaking. And then give us the courage. Give us the courage to get out there and swim in a red flag day to bring this peace about. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.